So we are towards the tail end of part two of our Believe campaign that we've been doing for the year, start kind of the school year. In the fall, we talked about what it means to think like Jesus, like things that, that we need to know if we're going to be a Christ follower, that God is a personal God, that we are saved through the work of Christ, the grace of God through the gift of Christ on the cross, we, um, that he wants to be with us for eternity, that our sin separates from, for us from him. We talked about that the, the church is the way, the vehicle in which God works in the world today. We talked about how we are stewards that God, of God's resources, that when we give our life to him, <coughs> everything we have, our time, our talents, our treasures, it's his, and we are his stewards, and, and what that means and what that looks like. Then we kicked off this year by getting more into thinking about what are practices that we need to have in our life if we're going to live like Christ. Uh, so we talked about studying God's word, um, spending time in prayer, serving, getting involved in the body, in biblical community, those kinds of things. And now as we're coming to this tail end of this part, we're talking about what I would consider the three key aspects of being a steward. Our talents, so two weeks ago we talked about our talents, special giftings that God has given us that are different than everyone else. That we, if we went around this room, we could talk and we would all be gifted in slightly different ways and we're called to use those gifts. Then last week we talked about time. And how our time is like a breath. It just comes and it goes and it's pretty quick. And it's... <coughs> Whew. Good thing I had this mic. All right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I sneeze three times usually, so I apologize. <coughs> I think I'm good. All right. So we talked about how time is... It comes and it goes. And it's important to think about how are we using that time? Are we using that time to just fulfill our purposes, to serve our purposes, or are we using that time as God's stewards to advance his purposes? And then today, we're going to talk about our treasures, that, that God has gifted us with treasures, and we need to look at and examine how are we using those treasures, and are we using them to his glory? So today's message is entitled, Giving My Resources, and we're going to jump in by starting with the key verse. 2 Corinthians 8, 7. So, as always, if you would, just follow along with me as we read 2 Corinthians 8, 7. It says this, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. Now, this is kind of an interesting thing because what Paul's telling the Corinthians here is saying, hey, you guys are moving forward in all these areas. You're advancing in all these things. See to it that you also advance in giving, the, in the grace of giving, that you're also learning to become givers. <clears throat> and it's interesting to me because... What they seem to be struggling with back then seems to be one of the main things that the church continues to struggle with. Is that I see so often as Christ followers, we, we turn every other area of our life over before we turn our finances over. Um, it's like one of the last strongholds in most people's lives that they give over to Christ. So now, before we even get into this, the reality is that talking about money makes people 
cringe a little bit. Talking about money makes people uncomfortable. And I'm not just talking about in church. Go to a party. Next party you go to, just start talking to people about, well, so how much money are you saving? Just, just see how many people start walking away from you. <laughs> right? People don't, we don't like to talk about money. It's a very private thing. We keep it to ourselves. <coughs> and it makes people uncomfortable to talk about it. And yet, it's interesting. Because money is one of the areas where we, I believe we are failing the most as a society. Not just in our government, right? Our government is however many trillions of dollars in debt right now, right? And we're, we're so big on, oh, the government needs to shore up, the government needs to do this, they need to do Why? Because you're so good at it, right? The government's kind of doing what we do, right? So, so maybe we, we should talk about what we do. Maybe if we weren't so uncomfortable talking about financial things, we would actually be in better shape. See, the average person, the average young adult, graduates from high school without ever learning how to balance a budget. That without having any understanding of how much it costs to live at the rate at which they've been used to living in the home they grew up in. The average person graduates from high school having no idea of what their family makes, so having no rel way to have a relative understanding of, okay, well, that's what it costs to be able to live at that level I'm used to living at. We're not training our children in this. We're taking care of everything, but we're not training them in what it takes to live. When I, uh, my last position at church, I worked primarily with the young adults. <clears throat> and what I saw a lot, and I've even seen this within my own family, is that you had 28-year-olds filing for bankruptcy. Why? Because what, what happens? First thing they do, they walk on a college campus. What's one of the first things you see when you walk on a college campus nowadays? Credit card companies, right? Credit card companies just waiting right there. Why? Because one of the most important things for you as an 18-year-old is to build your credit. No, it's not. Don't, but that, that's ridiculous. So, the, but we, we need, they, they're right there giving you credit cards. So college students, yeah, credit cards. New Xbox. Mom and dad wouldn't buy it for me. New Xbox. New, new, you knew this, knew that. Set my dorm up. I've got the most awesome dorm, whatever it is. Then they graduate from college with credit card, with credit card debt and college debt, unless their parents paid for all everything. <clears throat> then on top of that, no one ever taught them about what it takes to live at a certain level. So what do I want? Everything mom and dad had. Because mom and dad didn't talk to us about it. It took us 25 years to get to this. You can't expect to have this. You need to learn to grow into this. So what happens, we, we, over and over again, we're seeing 28-year-old people filing for bankruptcy because they can't manage their finances. We are falling apart as a nation financially. The average American household is $16,000 in credit card debt. That's just credit card debt. That doesn't count cars. It doesn't count mortgages, second mortgages. It doesn't count line of credits against homes. That's just credit card debt. The average American has over 35. The average American over 35 <coughs> has less than $50,000 saved of any kind for emergencies, retirement, you name it. Less than $50,000 saved. Now, you take what the average American is living on, not counting any medical emergencies, anything like that, that's enough for maybe if their house is paid off by the time they're 65, or even let's just say they work till 70, if their house is paid off and they get Social Security, that's maybe enough to live 
for three to five years. We're not doing well in this area. So maybe we should get over our uncomfortableness about talking about these things, and we should learn to be open about them so that we can grow and actually get the, gain the understanding that we need. And what would happen if God's people would actually be open to talking about what biblical principles are when it comes to finances? That's one of the reasons we have our financial peace class, which I know there's a few people taking right now. It's offered on Sunday night, and it's, it's an awesome thing. I'm really proud that my daughter and her boyfriend are taking it because that's a great thing for them to be doing at a young age to be learning these kinds of principles. We need to grow in our understanding about these things. One of the problems is there's a dysfunctional relationship between church leadership and the rest of the body, oftentimes when it comes to the idea of giving. <clears throat> I heard a story about a guy who was driving home from church with his family, and he was complaining the whole way home. You know, it's like, oh, the music is too loud, and it's uncomfortable, the chair's uncomfortable, it's too hot in that building, the preacher just goes on and on, won't, won't be quiet. And his kid finally kind of leans forward, about a nine-year-old boy, leans forward and goes, yeah, but Dad, you got to admit, that was a pretty good show for a buck. See, one of the problems is for, for people, oftentimes we see giving as kind of paying for services rendered, right? People kind of having this understanding like, well, okay, I get that the lights need to come on and I want there to be programs for my kids and, you know, and just so I'll, I'll, I'll give a little bit to kind of take care of that. But then on the other side, there's some dysfunction as well on the leadership side. Heard a story about a farmer who called the church to talk to the pastor. And he, he the, when the receptionist answered, he said, hey, can I speak to the head hog at the trough? And she goes, sir, if you're talking about the pastor, you can't speak about him that way. That, you need to call him pastor or minister. And he goes, oh, okay, whatever. I just, I, had, I sold a bunch of land and I was hoping to give a donation for the building fund. And she goes, hang on just a second, I'll get the big pig. <laughs> <coughs> Right? So on the other side, we have churches who oftentimes treat people differently based on what they give. I actually, the last church I was at, there were, they, they had had a history of that. And it was, it was really damaging. Certain people were allowed to act and do whatever they wanted because of the way they give, gave. So we made it, that was a really important thing when we came here, that that wasn't going to be something we were able to do. And one of the things we do to, to solve that is our staff doesn't, we don't know what people give. We, we just, we don't look at it. We don't, we don't pay attention to it. We don't see it. There's a few group of, there's a small group of volunteers that know specifically what people give because you have to track things. But the staff doesn't know because we, we want to get rid of that dysfunction. Now, some people will debate on whether or not tithing is actually something that is, we're held to, if tithing is a standard for us. <clears throat> and one of the reasons for that debate is because in the New Testament, it's mentioned a lot in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's not, it's mentioned, but it's not commanded. And so, so there's, this, there's this debate about what we should do there. Now, I'll just start off by letting you know, I, I personally, and through my study of the scripture, 
I personally do not believe that we are commanded to give a tithe. I, I, I can't find that that's our command. However, I do think the New Testament standard kind of changes our thinking. And if we're seeking to grow as Christ followers in the New Testament standard, a 10% is a good barometer for us to get started on and then maybe even change from there. So, you know, if you look at Acts chapter 2, it talks about the early church, they <coughs> selling whatever they needed to sell to make sure everyone's, everyone's uh, needs were taken care of. Uh, if we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, he talks about, look, if you're going to sow sparingly, you're going to reap sparingly. You, you, need to, you need to sow into what God's doing if you want to reap God's blessings. And then, obviously, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And he's saying, look, if your treasure is in earthly things, your heart is going to be in earthly things. Your heart follows your treasure. It's not the other way around. And so over and over again, we could talk a lot about how the New Testament carries this understanding and thinking that, one, it's God's first. If we are stewards... All of it is his, and we're supposed to give of our first to him. And, and a tithe is a great place to start with that. But I don't think a tithe is a command to that point where someone should feel horrible about themselves if they can't give a tithe, or someone feels like God condemns them if they can't give the tithe or they're not giving a tithe. But hopefully through this, as we talked about this this morning, <coughs> we can kind of open up and understand that the reality is it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. And where our finances go says a lot about where our heart is and what is going on in our thinking when it comes to our relationship with Christ. So having said all that, I just want to have some open conversation. So hopefully you guys are open to that. Um, so what I want to do is start off with some statistics. The Barna Research Institute who researches churches in a lot of different areas, <coughs> says that only 8% of Christians tithe. So 92% of Christians do not tithe. And like I said, we're not setting that as an absolute standard, so that's okay. But here's an inter the most interesting about that statistic is this. Of the 8% of Christians that tithe, 80% give over a tithe. 80% of people who have put into art the practice of giving of their first fruits, have learned the blessing of giving, and give more than that. Not necessarily to the church, but in life. They give to help take care of other people. They give to other ministries. They give, they give to just take care of needs when they see them, that kind of thing. Because they've learned the blessing of giving. See, is it possible? And it not, doesn't necessarily mean, here's the other interesting thing about the study, there's nothing that shows that it has anything to do with how much somebody makes. Oftentimes, the greatest givers are people that live in lower income brackets and then also in high income brackets. There's no, it's, there's, there's no prejudice to it. It's more the attitude and the mindset and the understanding that's behind the heart of it. But we've also found this. Within the church... 20% of people within the churches in America give 80% of church budgets. So that basically the church is functioning on what 20% of members give. <coughs> While another 30% give that, the rest of that 20. And then 50% of people within the church 
basically give nothing. Now, I want to show you something to show that, one, the good news is I think Mountain View is doing a little bit better than that. Um, but we still have a long way to grow as we're really going to be growing in the grace of giving. So if we, you put up that statistic, this is just a breakdown of our, of our families and giving. So you can see it's kind of more broken up into thirds. Now, we don't know how much anyone makes, so this giving $2,000 might well be a tithe for, for many people. So we don't know that for, sh for sure, but still just to know how much of the budget people are giving. <coughs> we have about 72 families who are giving what we would consider um, that 80, you know, the 80% of the budget. And then we have 61 who are giving 20%. And then we have 79 who are basically not, not giving. Now, the good news about that is it's more of a 30-30-30 than it is a, you know, kind of 20-30-50. But it does show that there's probably some room for us to learn to do what Paul said to learn to grow in this grace of giving, that, to, to learn to grow in this understanding of what it means to be givers. It makes sense to me that if, if we are hurting and failing so much in this area of financial, uh, in finances, that we would want to start talking more about it and start to applying biblical principles. If, 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 see, the correlation isn't going, it's, it's not working. It's not that, well, we're, we're not giving because we're learning to get out of debt, and, we're, and as soon as we're out of debt, that's not what's happening. The, the people who are the givers are off, most often the people who have less debt. The people who are the givers are most often the people who are, who, who are one in their marriage as a result of this. They, they, they find commonality in this. It, it, it takes stress away. <clears throat> so so there's, there needs to be a growth in our understanding of, of what it means to be givers so that we can, we can grow, not just grow Christ's kingdom, but grow ourselves and get out of this mountain of stress that finances cause in our life. Martin Luther once said this. Martin Luther was a reformer, the church reformer and theologian. He said this. He said, I have tried to keep things in my hands, and I've lost them all. But what I have given into God's hands, I still possess. See, the idea of when I try to hold on to it, I end up losing it. But when I give it into God's hands, I end up gaining it. So what I'm trying to get across is this, and we'll speak into this a little more. Is that you don't have, don't have this in your notes. You might want to write it down. There's a slide for it. Giving is not a legal act. It is a trust and identity act. We don't give because God's going to condemn us if we don't. We don't give because we're a lesser person or God thinks less of us if we don't. We're God's children. He loves us. He wants to bless you with, when we, in any area of life, when we learn to live in his principles, we are blessed. We grow. We experience his fulfillment and joy. And he wants that for us. So turn to 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. This is our, part of our key passage. <coughs> 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 15. I'm just going to hit on a few verses in there. 
he's talking to the Corinthian church about their need to kind of grow in giving. And he says, the Macedonians are givers. He says, because you need to kind of be more like the Macedonians. And he says in verse 3, he says, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Look at, look at verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. See, he's saying to the Corinthians, look, the Macedonians get it. They want to be a part of what God's doing. So they're giving, even when they don't even necessarily have the funds, they're giving and trusting God because they want to identify with him and they want to be a part of what he's doing. Now it goes on in verse 8, or verse 7. <clears throat> this is, was our key verse. It says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Learn to be givers as well. Don't just excel in these other things. Learn the blessing that comes from learning to be a giver. And then he goes on in verse 8. Listen to this. I say this not as a command. So see, he's not saying, hey, I'm commanding you, you have to give. Instead, he says, but to improve but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you may by his, by his poverty become rich. See what he says there? He goes, he's basically saying, look, identify with Christ in this. Learn to identify with Christ in this. That he gave up everything that you might know the riches of knowing him. You also be willing to give up so that others might be able to know the riches of knowing him. And that you can identify with him in that. He's not saying it as a command. He's not saying that you're, you, we need to walk away feeling horrid about ourselves. But he's saying, why wouldn't we want to grow in this? Why wouldn't we want to grow? Turn to Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 10. <coughs> Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 10. It's pretty much in the middle of your Bible. It says this. This is one of my favorite passages. It says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You know how many times as a pastor I get people come to me and say, why does God put me in these situations? And I go through their areas of their life and we talk about all the ways they're not trusting in him, all the, the places they're, they're, not take, they're not leaning on his understanding, they're just leaning on their own understanding. How, and how many of us, this finance is one of those areas where the trouble we're getting ourselves into has nothing to do with what God's doing, it has everything to do with what we're doing by not trusting in him, by not acknowledging him in that area. He goes on, verse 7, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. When he says do not be wise in your own eyes, he's trying to talk about the wisdom of the world. Do not fo don't follow the wisdom of the world. Right? We, we see where that's going financially, right? The wisdom of the world financially is, is, is ruined. But instead, follow God's wisdom. Verse 9. Honor the Lord in your, with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. 
Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. So I would submit that giving is one of the biggest tests of the heart for most people. That, that whether or not we're willing to give is, is, a big, is a major test for where our heart is and what we deem as important in life. So let's just kind of break this down. <clears throat> he says this. The, 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 the first point I want to talk about is we need to trust with our heart. If we're going to become givers, we need to trust God with our heart. He says, trust him in all of your ways. With all of your heart, trust in him. Stewardship is a key way in which we show that we really trust him. In Luke 21, verse 1 through 24, Jesus is sitting across the temple and people are giving their offerings. And he says, verse, 20, verse 1, he says, As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave, out of, gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live, in, live on. See, he saw her faith in her ability to trust God with all she had. And her ability to say, God, I don't, I don't know where, how you're going to take care of this. But I'm going to give. And see, that comes by becoming a first fruit giver. I know when I first started giving, <clears throat> I, I got convicted by a message or something that I was supposed to give, so I decided, okay, I'm going to start giving. And I said, okay, God, at the end of the month, whatever's left, I'm going to give that, right? And got to the month, and I was really focused on it, and I actually had some money, and, I, and we gave it, and we felt really great about that. We're like, okay, we've started this process. Next month, there really wasn't anything left. And, but we still, I kind of like, okay, we wrote like a $10 check or something. I was like, okay, we, you know, we're, we, it's not as good, but we're, we're, we're getting there. And we, you know, we just kind of, and then we would spend the whole month like guilting ourselves over every little thing we purchased or every little thing we bought or every little thing we did because, oh, well, this is not, we're not going to have money to give to God now. And, and then after a few months would go by, we pretty much weren't giving anything. And then I was in more debt and I was back to, you know, within five months, I was like back to where I was and not thinking about it. <clears throat> until I learned first fruits giving. Well, I learned, okay, God, the very first, the very first thing I'm going to do is give to you. See, this woman could have said, okay, God, when I'm, when, when, after I eat, after I take care of everything, I'm going to give. But that's not what she did. She, she gave it and said, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. What? We need to learn to be first fruit givers if we're really ever going to trust God. And that means the first thing we do is we give to God. And so I know, I remember for us, the, one, the, the process of that was I wasn't 10%. I didn't start 10%. I started, I think, of 1% the first time. Started 1%. Did that for a month or two and thought, oh, okay, we can do this. And then we upped it to 3%. And then after a while of doing 3%, I remember looking at that amount of money and going, man, if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that that much money was going to be gone out of my budget, I would have thought, no way, there's no way that can happen. But it was awesome to look back and go, but God provided and we got through it. And then, and then we upped it. And then we just, and we just kept upping it. 
because we saw that God provided as we gave to him first, as we trusted him in it. And it wasn't that he provided like, you know, you every now and then you hear those stories, and I'm not saying they don't happen. We hear the stories of, and I, we did it, and we didn't know where we were going to eat, and all of a sudden a $50,000 check was in my mailbox, and that never has happened to me. I'm open to it happening to me, just saying. <clears throat> it has never happened to me. But a couple things have happened. One, I realize I don't need all the things I spend my time thinking I need. Two, there are not nearly as many things that are actually emergencies that I used to think were emergencies. And three, I have learned that to change my mindset and attitude about what is important and about our money. And once I see it as God's and I'm just his steward, then it, it just changes it all. It changes the way I think about it. It changes how much time. I used to spend a lot of time thinking about what's the next thing I want What's the next upgrade I'm going to get? What's the next thing, I, place I want to go and trip I'm going to be on? And then you know what I would do? I'd end up buying it or doing it before I even really could afford it anyway. Because I was always thinking about it. And since I was always thinking about it, it, it consumed my mind. And I always wanted to do it. No one else here struggles with that, right? That was just probably me. Right? Because our, my mind is not focused on the things of God. Our mind is focused on our money. It's our money. It's my money. I'm going to use it to do this versus seeing it as his. We need to learn to trust him. Secondly, we need to be wise in our thinking. <coughs> we need to be wise in our thinking. That, what I mean by that is don't, don't go by your wisdom. Go by God's. Go by God's wisdom. Look at uh, Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. See, we're called to focus on God's wisdom. And I can guarantee the more we focus on God's wisdom, the less we're going to focus on these things that are going to get us in financial problems and, and cause financial trouble for us. The more we're going to be able to see if things are wise for us to purchase or to go to. A.W. Tozer said this. He was a theologian. He said, to do his gracious work, God must have the intelligent cooperation of his people. If we would think God's thoughts, we must learn to think continually of God. Remember last week we talked about the practice of seeking God with our time, right? taking time to seek God. That, that means seeking him in our finances as well. Right? Taking time to seek God. Would you have me do this? Would you have me buy this? Would you have me sell this? Would you have me donate this? Would you, would you have me go on this trip? Would you? God, I want to I do what you want when it comes to my finances. And giving shows that we are thinking of God in our daily activity. Giving shows that we are putting him first in our thoughts. See, it's one thing to say we have God's mind in things. It's another thing to back it up. It's a whole other thing to back that up. Finally, we need to honor him with our actions. We need to honor him with our actions. <coughs> In Malachi chapter 3, verse 7 through 10, he talk, God talks about to his people how they are robbing him by not bringing, not bringing the tithes and offerings. 
And he, and he says, test me in this. Test me and see if I will not bless you when you bring the tithes and offerings. He says, you're, in, you're cursed right now. You're under a curse because you're not giving. And I think about that. Think about all of the money and financial issues that we have in our country. Think about all the money and financial issues you have here in your home. Think about how often you argue about finances. Think about the debt you have or don't have. Think about the stress that you're under trying to make enough to get, get by or to get to a certain level or whatever it is. Maybe our curse doesn't look like it did to that agrarian people. But is it possible that we're, that we're cursed because we're not honoring God? Because our families aren't honoring God in our, in our finances? We're not honoring God with offerings and giving? Think about how many divorces are caused. You know, the financial arguments, financial issues are still the number one leading cause of divorce. All the other things I talked about with kids growing up, not knowing anything about finances, not understanding them. The constant stress we're under due to our debt and feeling always behind. Our curse may not look the same, but when we are unwilling to submit to God in any area of our life, we suffer consequences. We suffer consequences when we don't honor God in any area. How many of us We'll go on a three to $5,000 vacation, but say that we can't afford to help others, help people go on missions or go on a mission ourselves. How many of us spend $40 a week eating out when we have perfectly good food in our, our refrigerators, but we can't spend $40 a month feeding a hungry child? How many of us continue to purchase things on credit cards, yet we're unwilling to take the step of percentage giving? And yet all the while talking about how we want to honor God in our life. See, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having nice things. <clears throat> the, Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And, and many of Jesus' friends were very wealthy people. But the question is this. What are we putting first? What are we putting first? I'll close with this. I think Jesus sums it up really well when he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How much treasure are we investing into the kingdom of God? If we want to have God's heart and God's mind on things, then we have to honor him in our actions. We, we have to invest in the things that he invest, he's invested in if we want to follow him. In these last few weeks, we talked about our talents, we talked about our time, we talked about our treasure. And if we understand that we are his stewards, if we really see it that way, then it only makes sense that we would look at these three major areas of our life and we would challenge ourselves to, to look at what kind of stewards we're actually being. I, uh, I wanted to just read some of this. 
Some of you got this letter, uh, kind of an end-of-year letter. <clears throat> Many did not, but I wanted to encourage you because some of you in this church, are, you're, you are growing in this, this grace of giving. You, you guys, you, you're giving awesome in awesome ways. And I want you to know some of the blessings that are happening as a result of that. Some of, some of you, you're, you haven't, but you know this is an area and you, and you want to grow. And I want, I want you to, as you think about those steps, I also want you to think about these things. I want you to think about what is being accomplished because of giving. It's, it, it, it's, it's more than keeping lights on. It's more than, than paving a parking lot or, or things like that. In the last year, we saw 12 people take the step of public baptism, proclaiming their faith in Christ for others as a result, much of as a result of faithful giving. And the time of the, as a church, we've seen 100 people take the step of public baptism because of faithful giving. This last year, we were able to increase our investment in our children through the hiring of Michelle and, and different programs that we're doing for the kids. Um, and it's improved that area immensely. And, and we saw 138 children come to, to the VBS program where they got to hear the gospel and, and understand the gospel because of the faithful giving of people. This last year, our youth ministry has taken a big step forward. And for the first time now, we have separate junior night for junior high and separate night for high school for them to come and hear God's word and understand it and reach kids in the community that won't normally come to a Sunday morning service and, <clears throat> and start a Bible study on the campus um, of, of Wasatch High School and, and take over 30 kids to camp to hear the gospel and spend a week just kind of letting God speak to them because of the faithful giving of God's people. On Easter Sunday, we took probably the biggest step we've ever taken. We launched the Camas Campus, giving another area for people to hear the gospel weekly and be a part of a church community, a growing body of Christ. And we had 525 people attend last Sunday between the two, I mean, not last Sunday, last Easter between the two um, campuses um, hearing the gospel. And now over about 75 people on average attend the Camas Campus because of the faithful giving of God's people. Each week, we have people ministering to, um, to, by tutoring and, and uh, helping the kids in, in Midway that have English as their second language and, and getting to know that someone loves them and cares about them. And we're reaching about 20 different kids doing that. And part of that is because of the faithful giving of God's people. We've partnered with El Cristo Centro in Nueva, Florida, on uh, Honduras. Um, on a whole other level, we started going there and visiting with them three years ago. But now we, we've pretty much sponsored all of the children in their area. In fact, they just add a, they're, they're now reaching out and adding more, finding new kids that they can bring in and help because of the faithful giving of God's people as well as we've done things like build a, build a school for them, and we, we've um, built a water cistern so the, the moms can get water and don't have to leave their kids at home for two to three hours a day, like three-year-old kids. They don't have to leave them at home by themselves um, where they get hurt and injured and, and, and are left alone. They can be right there in the community because they can get their water right there, and it's all because of the faithful giving of God's people. These are some of the things that have happened just within the last year or so because of the faithful giving. 
So for those of you that have increased in this area, I say amen. Praise God. Thank you for allowing God's spirit to work in you. For those of you that this is a new idea, a new thought, don't leave here feeling guilty. Don't leave here feeling bad. Don't leave here beating yourself up because you don't do this. But do leave convicted. Do leave convicted that, that God is calling you to play a part in what he is doing. And he wants your treasure to be with him. And this is one small way we show it. And so whether you've never been a giver, make, go home and talk about the decision to, to maybe start making a 1% jump to step in giving, to seeing what that's like. Or maybe you've been a kind of just inconsistent giver. Go home and talk about jumping to an actual percentage and making that a real thing. Don't give out a compulsion. Don't give out a guilt. Don't give because you feel beat up. Know that God loves you and he just wants you to be a part of what he's doing. Let's pray. Father God, <coughs> we thank you um, for your love for us and your unending grace. Um, God, as we go forward this morning, I, I pray that we go forward confident of who we are in you. God, that we desire to just know you more, to be, to follow you more closely, to walk with you, and, and to be a part of what you're doing. And God, that your spirit would, would work in us and convict us as you see fit. I thank you for your unending grace that just lovingly moves us along in whatever area we struggle with. And that never lets us go. I pray these things in.